This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to Elk Shape Podcast into September. Hopefully, you got your bull or you got a lot of reps and experience and kind of shorten that elk hunting learning curve experience and time in the mountains is the number one thing you need to have consistent success and hopefully you've got that got your clock reset got your mind right spent some time with the creator out in the mountains kind of got everything dialed as far as your home life and figured out what really matters that's what it's all about for me is the total reset my calendar year starts september 1 as soon as September ends, it's back to setting goals, figuring out my major weaknesses and kind of prioritizing where to start and setting new goals for 2020. If you're still out there, tag in hand, maybe you're a rifle hunter, maybe you are in Montana with some general season left for archery, or maybe you just have a couple days left They just happen to catch this episode while you're heading up for the last week or weekend or day. Give her hell, guys. It's finite. You can't get those days back. And you have to grind. It can all come together on the last day. It's happened to me. Hopefully it happens to you. Today, we are bringing on Jason Stafford. Dude is an OG on his 19th year of elk hunting. He's put down a lot of bulls and some tremendous bulls. All public land, DIY. He's a writer, but but really, he's a dad. He's a husband. He's in law enforcement, but he's written a lot of articles throughout the years for Eastman's and other publications. I've always read his stuff. The guy is consistently consistent, and he's super humble. You're going to have to peel back the layers on this one to kind of get some of the nuggets. He talks about how he practices year-round, what he does, 
He's a super simple guy. Like he literally is real black and white on how he hunts. Talks about common mistakes rookie elk hunters make and then how he balances life and family and his career and what his plans are for after his service in law enforcement. Really cool episode. If you guys are done with your elk hunting season, now's the time to get on online elk shape camp. That's where our energy is going. We are going to start adding workout programs in there 30 days at a time. Right now, there's about 50 videos up there from our two previous camps. You can catch everything from workouts, programming, nutrition, nutrition programming, biometrics, and then we can get into the nitty-gritty on home gym programming, elk calling 101, 201, all with Dirk, how to do the fundamentals, how to make the advanced sounds, backpacking, backcountry nutrition, pack dumps with Ryan Lampers, fiscal fitness, when it comes to balancing your budget, planning for retirement, getting out of debt, eliminating debt, all the things that I find important on this podcast are wrapped up into there. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to put more and more energy into that. There's going to be more workout programs and more video content. 99 bucks a year gets you full access. You can check it out at elkshape.com. Right now we have a couple of swag items that are going to be going on sale soon, so keep an eye out for that. We've got some fall hoodies that are real lightweight with the Elk Shape Podcast logo on them. I think they turned out pretty dope. And that's what we got for you guys today. As far as sponsor reads go, look, you got a few weeks left to get your 25 bucks off Kinetrek Gators. You're going to need those at some point. So this offer expires 10-31-19. The discount code at the checkout is ElkShape, $25 off Gators. E-bikes for uh, whitetails is what I'm mainly using my e-bike for. So if you're thinking about getting a backcountry e-bike, they're very robust. They're high-end. Kind of get what you pay for. Buy once, cry once. Discount code is ELKSHAPE300 to save 300 bones. Your late-season food, look no further than off-grid food code. Discount code ELKSHAPE2019 knocks 10% off. Siberian Coolers, these are the guys that I'm using to put my elk meat in. You can use the discount code ELKSHAPE2019 save 10%. And uh, I would recommend the Alpha Series, the 85-quart. It's got one drain, it comes with a cutting board, a place to hold dry ice. You can fit a full elk in two of those coolers and they're really compact. So I've had a bigger cooler. I think I had the Yeti 160 at one point, too big. But I can kind of, in my small Tacoma, I can fit two Siberian 85 quarts and kind of space them out to save room on my long road trips. Game bags, the, this one's gonna expire at the end of the month as well. Caribou gear. Use discount code ELKSHAPE, save 15% off. That sucker is going to expire at the end of October. And then obviously Onyx Hunt, if you don't have it already, I don't know how you wouldn't. But if you are up for renewal, use the discount code ELKSHAPE, save 20%. They have more resources than any other competitors out there. So their stuff's always going to be the most up-to-date, the most accurate, with the most information. You have to have it. It's a must, not a should. Elk 101, University of Elk Hunting. Discount code ELKSHAPE, 20% off. You can go through all the modules and chapters. And then also there's audio version now, which is super hip. And lastly, ELKSHAPE Camps 2020. We are penciled in for six to seven. I'm going to drop when and where at the end of October. We're going to a couple places in Texas, Colorado, Wisconsin, Washington, Oregon, Man, we're lining them up. I don't want to do much more than six or seven because selfishly, I just don't want to travel that much. If I'm not hunting, I want to be near my family, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it right. If you're looking for some life changing or if you got your teeth kicked in this year, elk hunting, and you need a, a leg up on everything from 
how to kill an elk to how to make yourself the best possible version of yourself, get yourself to a camp and learn all the things archery, elk calling, fitness, nutrition. So let's get to Jason. This guy's the real deal. I'm pumped to have him on. He's finally on Instagram. Check the show notes for a link to that. He's on Facebook. He's an elk killer. He's actually pretty well-rounded archer and guy's a real deal out of Cody, Wyoming. Without further ado, this is Jason Stafford and this is the Elk Shade Podcast. All right, guys, we are recording tonight. Um, as you're listening to this, it's uh, towards the end of September. Hopefully, you have a few days left if you haven't punched your tag already. And so I thought we'd bring on a guy who's killed a lot of elk with a bow on public land and who just continues to raise the bar, Jason Stafford out of Wyoming. How are you? I'm doing great. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. We've never really met. I can't believe that. It's it's a it's a little world we live in, us bow hunters. But uh, I've definitely read your work throughout the years, pre social media, pre you know blogs. You were definitely written some articles here and there. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into bow hunting. Uh, I started bow hunting really young. I uh, grew up in North Dakota. Uh, grew up in a hunting family. We did a lot of upland bird hunting and waterfall hunting and big game hunting for whitetails there. And uh, we ran our own trap line, my brother and I did one year. I think we were 10 or 11. Wow. At the end of the season, when we uh, sold our furs, we I bought a uh, recurved bow, and I've been hooked ever since. And uh, from there, I hunted whitetails in North Dakota for many years, pretty successful at that. Um, never really got any big whitetails there. It was more of an opportunity. Um, after I graduated from the police academy, I decided I'd treat myself to a little hunt out of state. I went to the neighboring state of Minnesota where I shot my first black bear with a bow. And then uh, about 20 years ago, I got married. And uh, shortly after getting married, I asked if she wanted to move out west. And she agreed to it. And I applied in Cody, Wyoming and a couple places in Montana. And luckily, Cody called me and I came down here and interviewed was hired about 19 years ago next week, actually. So, Oh, wow. Cody, Wyoming. I've been there. Unbelievable. Great destination. So 19 years. How many years do you got to put in until you call it good? Uh, I actually have 25 years in law enforcement right now. I'm going to do another six, and I'll be retiring very young. So it should be fun traveling around hunting then. Nice. Okay. And then you're married and you have children. Yeah, I have two daughters. They actually started school today. One's a senior and one's a freshman. So, Wow, they're growing up fast. And you guys are a hunting family. We're going to get into elk hunting for sure, but we got to get into your, like, you've traveled and bow hunted too. So just to kind of set the stage, like, are you knocking on North American 29 or is that something in, in the back of your mind? No, I'll never be able to afford to do that. And okay. I, prefer to do uh, DIY type stuff. So I do have a goal of trying to get 16 of the 29. Okay. How close are you? Because you, you've killed a lot of different animals. <laughs> I think I'm at 12 and I have a couple hunts coming up that should push me up to 14, 15, hopefully. Uh, okay, cool. So life as a law enforcement, what is your current title with the department right now? I'm currently the lieutenant, so the number two guy that oversees the patrol division. Okay. So what's your schedule like? What's your shift work so you can do as much hunting as possible and balance family and all that too? Well, I used to love it when I was on patrol because I'd work midnights and I'd be up all night and get off in the morning and I would go straight to the mountains and hunt all day and then keep going. 
Uh, I was pretty young and didn't need much sleep at that time. But now I pretty well work seven to four and uh, pretty limited with the family because we do a lot of uh, sports. My girls do, so we're traveling a lot now during the fall. But try to get out every weekend I can, and I save all my vacation pretty much for September. Guys don't don't usually know this, but we are recording in August because obviously I'm not going to stick around and <laughs> record podcasts in September. <laughs> but uh, no way. What does your September look like as far as not only where are you going, but like how did you line out your dates? You know, I just uh, take whatever days come. Um, like I said, with my family schedule right now, or the age my girls are at and the sports they're in, they're in cross country. Um, we're gone every weekend, it seems like, and even a couple of meets during the week. So every Labor Day weekend I've spent with my dad and family and my hunting uh, partner's family. We uh, camp in the Bighorns Mountains of Wyoming, where we deer hunt for the first four or five days of September. As soon as that's over, it's just elk the rest of the month. You're not scheduled to work this month in September, but you have family obligations. As far as your maturation as a hunter, as a man... We got to get into like, when did you finally like come to grips with you're not going to hunt every day in September? You have kids, there's other responsibilities. And how, do, how does that worked out? <laughs> That's been a struggle a little bit. I mean, I enjoy watching the girls sports. They do really well at what they're doing, but I've kind of wrapped the girls into hunting a little bit too. So September, we spent some time elk hunting together. We spent a lot of time deer hunting together. And then leading up to it in August, we always do our family antelope hunt with just the girls and I. So uh, we do a lot of stuff together prior to September. And then when September comes, I'm kind of out the door, so to speak, and uh, running in the mountains looking for bulls. Yeah, no doubt. So you got a general tag in your pocket this year for Wyoming? I do not. I actually have a pretty good uh, limited quota tag, so I'm pretty excited about that. All right. Hopefully close to home. Um, and any other states on your radar this fall? Not this fall. Uh, I really expected my dad to draw as a non-resident. I thought he had enough points, so I kind of put Colorado on the back burner this year. And lo and behold, dad didn't draw, and it was past the uh, Colorado application deadline. So. <sighs> I know, kind of a kick in the gut. Yeah, well, there's a lot of guys. In fact, I was keeping track. I think I was up to 10 messages, mostly people I knew, but guys that just waited to get their elk tag like every year. They just get it when they get to Idaho or they just pick it up sometime August. And I don't know, I was double-digit guys messaged me, what am I going to do? I went to go get my tag today and Idaho sold out. I was just like, wow. Well, I know, I I was on the fence because I have enough points. I thought I had enough points where I'd probably draw a bighorn sheep tag here in Wyoming this year. And I was one of the unlucky eight that didn't draw. So, <laughs> Then I guess you're going next year maybe, huh? Yeah, it's looking like it's going to be a sure thing next year, hopefully. What is a, What points are you at for sheep in Wyoming? I have uh, 19. Oh, God. Okay. I'm at a solid 11 or 12 in Wyoming. And uh, I'm going to keep playing that one. Some of the states I'm pulling out on the programs, but um, that's yeah, one I'm not going to give up on. Yeah, there's several states that are kind of changing up the game on everyone, and it makes it difficult when you're trying to plan ahead for stuff. Yeah, like Colorado, honestly. Uh, I'm a little bit in purgatory. Don't really have enough to do anything, but I have way too many, at, you know, double-digit um, 
back to Idaho though, the guys that were messaging me, man, why would you wait? Like last year, <laughs> Idaho sold out uh, for years. Year, for years and years, I've killed an, an elk in Idaho, and then I just go get another one in September. And last year, I remember I killed a bull somewhere on or around the 19th or 20th, and I jammed in to get my second tag. And the lady made a comment as to, oh, you're lucky we're almost sold out. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a first. And so this year, I I went ahead and called Fishing Game three weeks ago, so early August. And I was like, how many tags you guys got left? And the lady said, I don't have an up-to-date report, but as of last week, we're just almost uh, 600 left. And I was like, okay. So I went down and bought both my tags. And um, I don't know. I, I feel like... Either elk hunting is just growing in popularity or the diehard guys are figuring out the two-tag deal in Idaho. I'm not sure. What do you think it is? I'm not sure. I think it's uh, just uh, hunting's gaining popularity. You know, they say hunter numbers are down, but I don't see that at all. Our, uh, you're in the same boat we are with our secondary Wyoming antelope tags. We used to be able to get two buck tags. Some of these units would have eight, 900 tags left over after the initial draw. Now they're selling out in the draw. And uh, Wyoming's kind of different, you know, it's 80-20 split for resident, non-resident. Mm-hmm. And uh, however, in the initial draw, if the residents don't draw them, they kick them into the non-resident draw. So that particular unit, 80% of the tags this year went to non-residents and only 20 went to residents. So, you know, we're done getting two tags, it seems like. Yeah, I, 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 I've heard the narrative that hunting numbers are down. I'm not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it with the popularity of digital media at your finger like these podcasts here just full of information that i didn't have when i started hunting same with you and you know we're from the old school like i've read your articles you've probably read some that i've written like that's old school stuff like that's how you got your information was like once a month or once a quarter and you couldn't you read it from cover to cover um and maybe you could get an email or something or you'd go to the forums like bowsider or something now it's all there right yeah, it's right at your fingertips. It's uh, insane how much information is out there if you look for it. I know. Well, we're going to get into elk a little bit. Um, I'm going to Wyoming myself. I'm leaving on Friday, and I was checking the weather, and it was supposed to be like 94 at the biggest town where I'm going on opening day. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it was uh, very cool yesterday morning. I think it was 49 or something like that. So I thought, man, fall is here. But I just looked at the forecast, too, and it's going to warm up every day for the next week and a half. <sighs> I don't like hunting elk in 90-degree weather ever. Um, so we'll see. It, it makes it tough. I know. It's not going to be – my style is, is definitely uh, not sitting over water or ambushing elk i want to be physical but uh i'll adapt and i think that's gonna have to do some slow play um weather does make a difference on elk have you killed elk in really hot weather before oh yeah um a lot of times we're just i treat my elk hunting different than most people i get up high on a knob just like a mule deer hunt and i spot and then i try to get in front of them and cut them off or ambush them or wait for them to bed and sneak in so the weather doesn't really affect me that much just the techniques that i do um if there's water in the area definitely they'll be coming into that and i'll ambush them on the way in yeah definitely and finding water in wyoming specifically 
some of the high country, probably not a problem. There's probably water everywhere, I would assume. Um, have yeah. You, have you messed we, with the desert bulls over there much? Um, where we hunt's a lot of sagebrush country, so it's low off the mountains, kind of down in the foot hills, and we're, uh, you know, we're out in that sage, and there's water and springs out in that stuff too. So this year's uh, an exceptional year. We've had a lot of moisture the whole year long, so. I mean, there, there's water everywhere. One of the antelope blinds that I typically hunt that was dry last year this time looks like a lake right now. You need a bass boat to hunt the thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you mentioned antelope. I'm going to have to go in there. But let's. I, I know that you've been to Nevada. You got your buck early season in August. And then you came back to home and then turned around and you went out antelope hunting. It seemed like you went just for a day or two and got it done. Let's recap those hunts so far in 2019 uh so nevada went down there with a friend we went back to the wilderness where i hunted elk the year before um i knew there were some decent bucks in there uh prior to going to the wilderness we scouted some of that desert terrain um saw some decent bucks out there but we kind of called that plan b went to the wilderness um got on a really nice buck opening morning we laid above him at 50 yards for probably two and a half three hours had a great wind in our face, so I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, he stood up, looked right at us, and took off running. And just kind of like, couldn't believe it. I've never Man. seen anything like it. He just jumped up, looked right at the two of us, and just took off running. And I was like, wow, that stinks. Yeah. So on uh, a couple of days later, we decided to go back to the desert. and uh, Did a little bit of hunting down there, spotted a few nice bucks. And finally found a really good buck in a stockable position and was able to get in about 43 yards, waited for him to stand up, and that was that. Typically, that's your protocol. You wait for them to stand up. Uh, what's your kind of goal when you're stalking? Like, how do you know <clears throat> when you're close enough? When do you get greedy and try to get closer? Is it just a case-by-case -case scenario? Or do you have a rule of thumb? I try to get uh, 40 yards or so. I mean, I've gotten greedy over the years and gotten in close a lot of times. And about 90% of the time, that does not work. Something happens. And when you're in that close, the animal really sort of freaks out. If they see you or catch any movement that close, they're just gone. They don't stop and look back. 40 yards, 50 yards, um, pretty comfortable. They'll get up and feed around. Even if they look your way a little bit they kind of look right through you at that range. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's, I mean, you did some good solid work. Uh, you elk hunted in this area the year before. Got to hear about that. Oh, that uh, elk hunt was kind of off the charts. There were a lot of bulls. We saw a lot of six points that, you know, the unit was known for that. And I knew going into it that uh, we'd see a lot of six point bulls, but top end was probably like the 320 to 330 range what I was told by many of the guys that I talked to. We went down, I think it went down four or five days early. You know, it's basically a once-in-a-lifetime tag. So a friend and I went down, spent a lot of time scouting, scouting areas that I was told there were just tons and tons of bulls. And we were seeing some, but not the numbers like, you know, had been talked about. And then we were seeing other hunters quite a bit. And it was the day before the opener, and we had scouted a little bit of the wilderness. And I knew one spot I wanted to really check out. And I'm like, we're laying in the tent, another side-by-side side went by, and I'm like, 
let's just pack up. Let's go to the wilderness. Let's leave our tents here. Let's just take our backpacking stuff and go. And uh, we did that. Hiked in opening morning into drainage, kind of. We're from a distance, like a, two or three days prior. We were probably a couple miles away and using a spotting scope. I could tell there were a couple bulls in there. Uh, we got up into the saddle where we were going to camp. And it was just like elk heaven. The uh, next drainage, I think we counted 12 bulls just in a matter of minutes. Uh, a couple of really good ones. The one that I ended up shooting was probably the biggest one in there. We watched him for quite a bit from our uh, camp. And then we decided, well, we got to cut the distance a little bit. We ended up hiking lower to get the wind right. And then we sat there for probably three hours until we got a steady thermal wind. And at that point, they were counting bulls that were on our side of the canyon. So we were up to 27 bulls in this one drainage. Good Lord. And he was he was still the biggest bull. Um, started raining. He got up and moved on us over a hill where we couldn't see him. So we got the wind right, started working up, that, uh, up the hill so I could kind of glass across. We saw a couple other bulls. We weren't able to find him right away. And then... When we did find him, it just, the clouds opened up and it was absolutely pouring. And he was with three other bulls and they were laying just up off of a creek bottom. But they could see right where we were at. But uh, one thing in elk hunting that's way different than deer or antelope or anything else, in my opinion anyway, is you can get away with more movement with elk if you're slow and deliberate. So I just sat down on my rear end and slid down this hill for probably 300, 350 yards, just inch by inch. <laughs> Every once in a while, they would look up, you know, but they didn't seem to really matter. I mean, if you were going slow, they'd look up. I'd just sit there for a few minutes. So that whole time, you know, of course, it had poured, I don't know, maybe half inch of rain, and I was just covered in mud from sliding from head to toe. And then I get to the creek bottom, and it was just like a slide. I slid right down into it. Ended up, my arrows and everything were just so full of mud, I stopped at the creek, which was just flowing now because of all the rain that had just fallen. Washed my arrows off, crawled up the creek bottom, got to the dead log where I thought he was, could see part of his antlers, and then I stood there for, I don't know, 30 minutes. In the meantime, a couple other six points got up. They were sparring. They pushed each other around at like 15 yards. One of them one of them turned around and started running towards me and i'm just like oh man and he locked up at like six yards and i'm like oh, game over but he stared for maybe a minute and then he just walked off and then uh, another bull that was pretty good i thought about you know taking him instead because he offered me a pretty good opportunity at 40 yards he got up and he started messing with these other small six points that were pushing around and they pushed each other pretty close to that big bull and then he had enough of that he laid his rack straight back just laying there with it on his back he's just pretty cool and then he got upset with them and he stood up and 37 yards and that was that except for the pack out of there was miserable oh i bet you know (laughs) that so you literally didn't see cows in that canyon it was all bachelors it was all bulls and that's what was the opening day last year was it august 25th i can't remember no i think it was the 16th was it that early yeah I've killed a lot of my biggest bulls in August early on. Yeah, I have not killed a bull in August. I, I too, drew Nevada last year finally, and sad to say, you and I can't even put in for another six years. 
Um, yeah. And it's such a special place. They are pretty stingy with their tags, but everything you said resonated with me. Like, got there a few days early. Every Nevada resident's got a side by side and their name in a bottle over every water hole. And uh, there was four by four trails everywhere. It was really tough to just find some country without ATV trails. Um, and I finally just like, packed up. We moved camp like seven times till we finally found an area and we had it to ourselves. And then a light switch came on September 1st. It was like a frenzy for cows. All these bulls just showed up and we're fighting over about a hundred cows. And in my area, there was, 350 plus bulls it was incredible but uh man i want to go back for sure so you you got your your big buck in nevada you jam home did you have to go back to work yeah i worked a couple days to save a couple vacation days for next month here yeah and then you picked up and went antelope hunting obviously wyoming is mecca when it comes to antelope hunting my personal favorite wild game meat is antelope um yes you guys get how many doe tags can you get as a resident? <laughs> uh, you shouldn't ask me that question. My wife asked how many tags we had yesterday, and she was quite upset when I told her. So we each have three tags. Uh, we have two doe tags and uh, a buck tag. So, and I think you can get up to four doe tags and two buck tags. But So as a family, we have nine tags right now. So seriously, like now you can actually make <laughs> antelope burger. You know what I mean? You can stack Yeah. Sausage, they make great. Oh, we make a lot of sausage and a lot of brats and stuff like that with it. Seriously, I get, um, I haven't, I've killed one antelope. I'm one for one in Wyoming. It was amazing. And it was a leftover tag. And it was in like, I can't remember, October or early November. And I was driving back from a hunt and I had a couple extra days and I just pulled in to a fishing game and picked up a tag. And, but I just killed my antelope in Idaho. And I'm telling you, man, it's, I'm like picking every like scrap of meat off antelope. It's my favorite game. It's tender. It's it's unreal. I've heard people literally say that it tastes like sage or something. I don't know. I've heard that narrative. I don't understand it. It's like literally the most tender meat. And if I was a Wyoming resident, I'd have a fistful of antelope tags. I'd have my family lined out. We are stacking them up. Do you ever spend time in September hunting antelope or are you dedicated to elk? dedicated to elk and deer in september yeah same here i've always wanted to hunt antelope kind of when they're rutting hard but i don't it just doesn't line up you know no it just doesn't work unless we get done with uh, elk early but we always hunt in august so i mean we're usually done with antelope within a few days there's just so many of them around in some of the areas we hunt do you hunt the same water holes year to year or does it just depend on what you're in the mood for uh, it varies. We try to hunt the same ones if we can. Some of them dry up and things change. Like this year, uh, where I usually hunt is kind of remote and away from people. And that was really super dry. And you go eight miles down the road and the grass was two foot tall and there's water everywhere. So it was just really, really a kind of a strange year for that area. Man, antelope are no joke. I've heard folks say that they're like a good warm up for the season. And I feel like to me, that's like a CrossFit warm-up. Like a lot of people come and do a CrossFit warm-up and they're like, holy shit, was that the workout? And you're like, no, that was the warm-up. That's what antelope are for me. Like if you're just doing spot and stock antelope, that's hardly a warm-up. That's some of the hardest stuff to get done with a bow. Talk to us a little bit about antelope hunting and how to not get frustrated. 
Well, I think the main thing with antelope, you know, we'd spot stock quite a few of them is we just hunt country. We don't hunt where the bucks are. We find the badlands, the broken stuff, and then we hunt that country. And we find, you know, they're feeding under the bottoms, kind of under cliffs, where you've got some cover where you can get up on them. If you're going to go down there and take care of a spot stock them in that open sage country, you're crazy. They'll see you coming two miles away, and they do not stand around. They will be long gone. I feel so we like, typically just look for good broken country and hunt that. Yeah, and that's kind of hard to do unless you're in Wyoming. I mean, eastern Montana's got some good country. Where I was at, it's really flat sage and not tall sage. So just like you said, like we almost had to find destinations and hope that there was a few antelope there. Because where the antelope that you could see, obviously, it, there's just no approach. There's just zero approach. Came across my first rattlesnake out of all the deserts I've hunted and all the time I've hunted everywhere out west. Finally came across a buzzworm. How many of you? How many of those are you coming across when you're antelope hunting? <laughs> we only came across one this year in Wyoming uh, when we were deer hunting in Nevada. I came across one that was pretty aggressive, and I really hate those things. My friends make fun of me because I'm scared to death of those rattlesnakes, and I'll go hunt in grizzly bear country all day long. And I have no problems hunting where the grizzlies are, but rattlesnakes just don't do it. Dude, okay, well, that makes me feel better. If you saw how <laughs> fast I jumped, I actually, I actually threw my bow because, like I said, I've never encountered one while hunting, and it's the last thing on my mind. And I've hunted Arizona and Nevada and all the deserts of Idaho and Wyoming and Montana. Never had an encounter, and then it was an unmistakable sound, and it was so close to me when I first almost stepped on it that I threw my bow, uh, just jumped, and I did not let that uh, snake live either. So, <laughs> sorry. I know. We were, we were in Nevada for like five minutes, maybe ten minutes, walked out to this peak to uh, look over some country, and I almost stepped on one. I'm like, man, this is nuts. I really despise those things. God, well, I've always like, I've always opened my blind when I'm sitting water or slides and in the dark, I've always opened it up and shined a light just out of habit, but I've heard horror stories and I feel like that would scar me for life if I had one in my ground blind when I'm trying to get in it. Yeah, no, that would not be fun. I've never had one in my blind, luckily. Okay. I've heard that they'll do that from time to time. So you got your antelope, you got your buck, and then you have a limited quota elk tag. Any other tags in your pocket for elk? Uh, not for elk. We're taking off for mule deer Friday. So we'll hunt mule deer for the first probably five, six days of September before we dedicate the rest of the month to elk. That's great. Okay. And then being a dad and, and law enforcement and just blue collar – and a do-it-yourself kind of guy. What is it about public land, DIY, in your situation? Like, relate to the audience because that's what this podcast is known for. We're, we're trying to promote the non-guided, the non-ranch tag or landowner tag. Like, the old blue-collar. What I just try to, like, most guys can afford this style of hunting. What is it about it that just excites you and keeps you going? You know, it's hard to describe. I, uh, I really like doing a lot of research and stuff. So, I mean, that's kind of the exciting part for me is I do tons of research to different areas that I think I'm going to elk hunt in the future. And then I finally take that trip and go there and hunt them on public land. And, you know, it's on you if you find the elk or not, you know, did you do enough research? Did you do the right research? 
if you do it right and it all comes together and there's no better feeling in the world in my opinion of just being successful on public land knowing that you did it yourself and uh and if it doesn't go well there's nobody else to blame either but yourself so when we're talking tactics on elk you you know you kind of alluded that you like to run the glassing game which i can't argue I've killed more elk without calls than with. Have you hunted much country that doesn't is not as conducive to glassing? Yeah, when I first started out, we did quite a bit of calling. My first uh, elk was a cow elk. We uh, called her in about forty yards with a bow, and I took her. I'd never hunted elk before. It was actually the first year I was eligible to hunt in Wyoming, and then uh, the following year, a good friend of mine that's in law enforcement has horses, and he backpack or he. Uh, horseback rides back in quite a ways and he's like hey would you want to go with for a week and we'll go hunt some elk in the back country it's a pretty special place and I'm like sure why not and ridden on a horse and probably i don't know 15 years and man i was so sore by the time we got back in about four or five hours and mm-hmm. as we're riding in you can just hear him bugling ahead of us and he kept looking back and grinning and he's like we got to get camp set up before we can do anything goes, it's <laughs> tempting and man, we were riding by bulls that were bugling like crazy. And we literally set up camp. We hiked out. He gave a couple bugles, and we had bulls bugling on both sides of us. And then we got in on a bull that had five or six cows, and he bugled twice. And that bull came off the hillside and came in about 40 yards. And I shot him. He's like a 330 inch bull, first bull elk I've ever killed. Uh, we got him taken care of that night. We uh, slept in the next morning, took care of some more chores around camp, went out early afternoon, and my friend hunts with a longbow. So we bugle off this uh, point, and I'm, I'm not kidding you, the whole drainage lit up, and you could just hear the one elk just running towards us through the timber and breaking stuff. And uh, we never bugled again. We just dropped down a little bit and sat down in this great big fight, or great big Right, I think he was like 350-something. Bull comes walking in at 12 yards, and he sticks him with his longbow. Unreal. Yeah, unreal, yeah. So in about 24 hours, we had two big bulls on the ground, and we were riding out the next morning. I can't say I've ever had a hunt like that, man. That is uh, unreal. Well, that's a good way to get hooked on elk hunting, I can tell you that. Yeah, game over for you. So <laughs> how many years have you elk hunted? Let's see. This will be my 19th season. Your 19th season. Yeah. What did you do the first five years that now you look back and you laugh and be like, what was I thinking? I treated them like they were white-tailed deer or mule deer, and I'd be sneaking along. And if they even remotely looked my way, I'd freeze and just sit there and not do anything. Where in reality, like I said earlier, you can, if you know what you're doing, you can get away with quite a bit of movement and, uh, they'll let you sneak in and now sometimes it can be a curse i seem like sometimes i get a little over aggressive but i'm not there to not give it a shot so if it works out it works out great if i blow them out i'll catch up to them another day no i feel you well that w- that's the probably the number one thing we talk about on here is just not being aggressive enough in fact erring on the side of being maybe overly aggressive so when i'm headed down to wyoming here shortly I'm bringing, I'm packing a spotter. Even if I'm bivouacking, I'm going to bring a spotter, a phone scope. I'm going to bring a pair of 10 by 42s and I'm going to glass. I really want to glass until I see kind of the rut start to get kicked in a little bit. 
I anticipate it's the opener September 1. I'm going to see bulls still together, and that's fine. When you're looking for glassing places, do you rely on Google Earth to kind of find those, or is it more of boots on the ground when you get there and you kind of just know where you need to get? I get on Google Earth and Onyx Maps both and Basecamp. I use all of them. So I'll get on there and find some glassing points ahead of time, you know. And then once I get there, it is boots on the ground. I try to always typically go on most of my hunts at least three days early for scouting. And most of that is just getting to know the roads and making sure that those are good, valid glassing points that you have marked ahead of time. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, this year I'm only going to have an evening, a morning, and an evening until the opener. But I have really good information on guys that have hunted there before, in fact, the last two years. Um, so, And I have a resident guide, so I have my bases covered so I can go into the wilderness if need be. It's a lot of work to line all that out. Networking and all that kind of stuff, do you make calls to other hunters or reach out in forums, or do you just call biologists and talk to game wardens? Like I do it all. I uh, talk to other hunters. I talk to biologists. I talk to game wardens. I talk to anybody that will listen, basically, on areas. When it's, and you know, A lot of people think, well, nobody's going to give up their secret spot. Well, a lot of states now are it's basically you have to have so many preference points. It's maybe once or twice in your lifetime you'll hunt there so people are willing to talk when you have a tag that's hard to get in my opinion yeah i do think so and then when you have that general tag not so much um (laughs) so do you prefer to hunt with a partner or do you like going solo a little bit of both so i've shared camp with a good friend of mine ron najalik for a lot of years and Oh, that dude is on my radar to get on this podcast, by the way. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good guy. Heck of an elk hunter. Loves elk hunting. He's the one that's kind of got me hooked on it. Mm-hmm. So I've hunted with him for a lot of years. And the last few years, we've kind of shared a camp, but then hunted solo out of it. So, And I prefer both ways. I really like hunting solo. So uh, it's just hard when we have so many grizzly bears around. Yeah, so about that, how, how are, you, are you having those any encounters or are they messing with your camps? Do they change the way you hunt at all? And, and what kind of precautions do you take? Um, yes, they do change the way you hunt a little bit. You're quite a bit more cautious. I carry both bear spray and a handgun firearm just because we encounter grizzlies, if not every day, every other day. Uh, we haven't really had to mess with our camp. Uh, we've had them claim a couple of elk on us over the years. Uh, we've had them, you know, do some bluff charges and stuff like that. So uh, they're they're the real deal, and they are everywhere in Wyoming right now. So when you get an elk down, and you're let's say you're back in the backcountry, like true wilderness, if you're solo, I can understand. Like, dude, I really want to address this animal, but I don't really want to have be elbow deep in elk in the dark. Let's say solo versus non-solo. What's your meat care protocol? How did you guys lose that meat? Uh, we actually, there were three of us, four four of them, cutting that elk up in uh, sow with three big cubs came in. No warning, no nothing. Came right in on those guys. And then uh, I think it was last year or the year before, they had shot a spike right before dark and uh, waited, tracked it the next morning, of course grizzly bear was on it so here if you have an out down you better get it out in one trip if you can you know we have in reach and we're able to get a hold of each other to say where we're at and have an elk down and 
we go in and get the whole thing out. Because if you don't get the whole thing out in one trip, chances are you're going to have a big fuzzy bear on it in the morning. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you guys think you're going to get a chance to hunt those things in the next five years? No, I don't think so. It keeps getting blocked. and it, It's discouraging, especially for someone in my profession, you know, to have a judge from back east telling us what we can and can't do here in Wyoming or Montana. Uh, I don't think they have a clue how many bears are actually there. I mean, we have a grizzly bear that was walking around in town behind Dairy Queen last fall, so they're everywhere. Wow. Well, what about um, our other four-legged predatory friend? Do you guys have a season on them? <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, it's kind of weird. Uh, we have quite a few wolves, but Game and Fish cut the tag numbers. I think it was last year. Maybe it's this year. I can't remember, but the tag numbers have been drastically reduced for wolf hunting here, which is un- unheard of to me when I was over in Idaho moose hunting. There were wolves everywhere over there, and they're giving out tons of tags. So I don't know if you guys over in Idaho have more than we do. or Yeah, I, I would uh, say we probably do, but there's a lot we can't do about it, honestly, without just pure trapping, um, just with all the timber. What about... Do you guys have a trapping season, or is it just like a general season? How, what is your wolf situation? It's just a general season. There is no trapping. Oh, that's brutal. Um, so does your general season overlap some modern firearm? Yeah, uh, they changed it uh, last year, so now I think it opens on September 1. I'll have to check, but I always have a wolf tag with me. Um, I think it was four years ago I was in... One of my favorite drainages, El Cotton, and there were 12 wolves in there. And it was in September, and that was the year that they had it where it opened October 1st. So it's kind of upset because I got pretty close to those wolves. And it would have been fun to take one with a bow. What's harder on your elk population, wolves or grizzlies? I would say the grizzlies are. They are taking a lot of calves in the spring. Most of them just, when you see them out of the den, they're cruising in June, right around the time that. Cows are dropping their calves, they're up in those sagebrush flats, and that's all they're doing is going back and forth, zigzagging, looking for calves. Is there any part of your state that doesn't have a high density of grizzlies where elk are? Oh, yeah, there's like the Bighorn Mountains, and then there's down and uh, down south in the Rock Springs area and stuff like that in the desert. There's no grizzlies down there either. So. I, I can buy Rock Springs, but how are the Bighorns? How do they not have any grizzlies? <laughs> um... They say they're not there, but I've talked to guys that say they have trail camera pictures of grizz here and there. Um, we had one two years ago that game of fish trapped about halfway between here and the Bighorns. So I know they get out there quite a ways. I would say that there's probably one or two or a few there. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's not my favorite animal to run into. I have a few on camera in Idaho where they said that there's none, but same situation. I got the proof. I have one that's even collared, so they have to at least have an idea that they're going through there. Um, plain as day, because, you, you know, we can bait for bears in Idaho. You guys can bait, too. Uh, is that going well, or is that ever coming up as, you know, band baiting like they did in Oregon and Washington? Um, it's going well here. We cannot bait in the grizzly areas over here, so we're right. all spot and stock on my side of the state. But, like, the bighorns, they can still bait, but... Right now, they're kind of using that as a uh, crutch the antis are to ban all baiting. Um, I don't think they realize that you can't already bait 
you know, you're not allowed to bait in the grizzly areas. So they're using that as a crutch to try to ban it statewide, but so far it has not been successful. Yeah, Idaho's run the same program up in the northern end. You cannot bait because it's just overlaps grizz country, but uh, for the most of the state you can, and there's plenty of spot and stock opportunity as well. But, um, yeah, well, I think living in Wyoming is one of the best destinations for somebody out west. When it comes to just general elk tactics for you, beyond glassing, beyond not being aggressive enough, what are some other, like, I guess, takeaways for those listening? They got a few days left on the season. Maybe they got a Montana general tag and it goes through the mid October. Where are we at at the end of September when it comes to tactics on bulls? And they, by the end of September, they're usually very herded up. Um, so you're basically trying to find good satellite bulls to call in. Or if you're trying for the herd bull, you're, I just stay quiet and sneak in if I can. Um, but if I'm just, out there and there's a big bull it's got tons of cows and i know i'm not going to be able to get close to him i'll do some calling try to call in some satellite bulls see what there is i mean in the areas i hunt those herd bulls are fairly big so satellite bulls are really nice as well trying to shoot just a decent six point a lot of guys i think come from out of state i've heard them say well i'm drew this once in a lifetime or limited quota tag in wyoming and i'm not even going to shoot a bull unless it's 350 and i I think that's starting off on the wrong foot. I mean, I've hunted here for 19 years, and 350 bulls do not grow on trees by any means. So I think you need to have your goals set realistically coming into a hunt and adjust them as accordingly. I know when we went down on our Nevada deer hunt, we were told we'd see some 170 to 180 class bucks, and by about day four it was like, well, we're seeing 160s and 150s quite a bit, so we adjust our tactics, and the next 160 buck we saw, we stocked and were able to take. Yeah, I think that's awesome to say, clear clear your expectations up, revisit why you're hunting. You know, for me personally, Wyoming's my first elk hunt of the year, bro. I don't have any meat in the freezer with elk on it. It's all gone. Um, I had three, killed three bulls last year. I gave away one of my bulls to the entire gym that i owned like i wanted everyone to have elk meat try it out and promote hunting and the other two gone just between me and my family and my extended family so that's why i hunt at the end of the day and so it's tough for me to be like to say i'm going down there and it's got to be 350 plus i've never killed a 350 bull i think my biggest bull is in the 330 340 range and i'm great with that you know um at the end of the day i want to have elk meat and i want to celebrate if you kill a five point a spike and it's on public land and it's an over-the-counter tag you should celebrate that and i and i'm really trying to shift that perspective uh with my little voice and let guys know that it's cool to kill a, a rag bull on public land with a bow i mean it's a big deal and celebrate oh it that. is yeah when I, we do our general elk tag up in montana Man, I've shot cows with my bow up there just because it is hard. You have people everywhere, and uh, we take any bull up in Montana. The areas that we hunt here and we know, we, we're a little bit more selective, but not much more. No doubt, bro. I appreciate you saying that. So, um, well, we're going to wrap up a couple more things real quick. I'm going to rapid fire you. So, what bow are you shooting this year? What's your setup look like from arrows to accessories? Uh, I'm shooting the Prime Logic. That's a last year's model bow. I didn't get a new one this year just because this bow 
is it's just been a tack driver for me it just there's something about it just fits me perfectly uh, i fell in love with it the first few times i shot it and i've shot a lot of animals with it in the last two years shooting that i've got a black gold verdict uh, three pin slider on there i use a hip quiver that i was given when i was 17 years old uh, old school chuck adams type quiver so yes I have that. I've hunted with it since I've been 17. Shooting Eastern Access arrows and uh, G5 strikers for elk. Dude, you wear your arrows on your hip. That's how I started. I think it was called. I still a, do. A, I know a cat quiver. Is that is that a thing? Do you remember those? Yeah, I think that was a back one that you wore on your back. Yep. This one's a hip, and it's like a troutman or something like that. A trotman, some doesn't some form like doesn't that. obviously get in your way. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's when you're crawling and stalking, yeah, you're constantly moving it around. But you know what? That's kind of my tradition, I guess. And I've had it since I was a kid, and it's hard to get away from it. Well, you, your bow's a lot lighter, and you can really mess with your stabilization and setup. I mean, I get it. And then it's just right there. It's not too far. So if you need to reload, I got pictures in Wyoming. I was uh, hunting out of Cody in 2007. And I got pictures of wearing a hip quiver. So it just brings back good memories. Uh, I used to do that for sure. That's awesome. Okay, so what about when it comes to like, I just kind of want to nerd out a little bit on like your layering system because it can be really cold in the mornings and by like nine o'clock, it's hot as hell. What's your layering system? What's kind of in your backpack for just clothing systems? I use the uh, Sitka, kind of some of their lighter weight stuff. And then I'll uh, wear either their mountain jacket or else their uh, vest over the top of that so i prefer to wear a vest uh, versus a jacket when i can just for especially if i'm in a hunting situation um just don't want to take the chance of any string interference i've never had any yeah but it's always in the back of my mind and a vest just seems fit comfortable so that's what i, I typically wear a vest and i do wear some uh, base layers but peel those off as needed uh, if I know I'm going to be doing a lot of spotting for, or, you know, glassing first thing in the morning, I'll wear a puffy jacket just to stay warm. Of course, you can just shred that off and put it in your pack right away when you take off. Somebody bow hunting 19 years, Jason, like you have some best practices. You have some things that you do that maybe you'd have to almost stop and think like, cause it's just so automatic or in your nature. Can you reflect on that kind of quick from the hip and tell us, these are some of the things that I do year round that are going to promote better bow hunting? Man, that's a tough one. I typically try to shoot, uh, and I don't shoot a lot of arrows. I see a lot of guys that will go out there and they're like, oh, I'm going to shoot 25, 30 arrows tonight. Uh, what that does after about your 15th arrow is you're starting to get some bad form just because you're getting fatigued. I'll go out and shoot maybe 10 arrows a night a couple times a week. So I, I try not to overshoot my bow once i get it all dialed in and tuned that's one of the main things i think anybody starting out is to make sure that you learn how to tune your bow and how to tinker with it so if anything goes wrong with it when you're out on your hunt you're able to fix it yourself so once i have that bow fine-tuned yeah i i just i shoot minimal arrows through it truthfully i'll shoot a couple times a week um i like to run i've you know as a runner in high school as a runner in college my daughters run, my wife runs. So as a family, we'll get up and we'll run a few mornings every week. Um, I don't do it necessarily just to 
stay in shape for elk hunting season. I do it for stress relief and just to have some family time, but it does help. I mean, doesn't hurt. True. It does not hurt. And truthfully, when you get to the mountains, there is really no preparing for me here, guys, saying that they're doing all these different runs and workouts. But you get to the mountains the first two, three days of the year, and they're going to kick your butt every time. There is, to me, there's really no workout that works the muscles other than just getting out there and doing it. So we try to do some hiking in the summer, you know, with packs and stuff like that, just to prepare us for that. No, definitely. And as we both get older, how old are you, Jason? <laughs> I am 46. 46 years young. I'm 38. Yeah. I don't think I'm in my prime. And you can laugh at me because you're a little bit ahead of me. But I am not as good as I once was physically. And it wasn't that long ago. Uh, I don't suck, though. I will say that. I'm, I'm in pretty, <laughs> pretty damn good shape. I'm living the brand, so to speak. But, bro... I don't recover as fast, and I do have to kind of stay fit year-round. I want to unpack two things you said there because I'm in the same boat. Number one, I literally don't shoot that many arrows in a session. I Quality over quantity every day. But I don't let a lot of days go by without hammering that muscle memory. And what I mean by that is just even if it's blank bell, three to five arrows, really good shot execution. Yesterday I shot two arrows off my deck, broadhead, 60 yards. Um, in the same target, I risked ruining arrows. I just wanted to just shoot you know, a couple in the same spot. Almost ruined arrows, yeah. but that was it. And I saw where they hit, and I was just it's just a little confidence, a little reminder. Mm-hmm. I wore a backpack. I wore my bino harness. I probably spent more time putting my backpack and bino harness on than I did actually shooting those two arrows. But that was it. I, I'm with you on quality over quantity. Now, as far as tuning, do you own a bow press? I do not. I have a good friend that does, and I get together with him, and we tinker. we tune our bows together. Yeah, tinker around and play, and he's taught me a lot over the years. So he's one of these guys that is just a, a tinkerer. He was, he's a nerd when it comes to bow tuning, and he knows. Seems to me like he knows everything. It's just like wow. Some things he comes up with, I've never even thought of. No, you got to have someone like that in your back pocket. And I posted quite a few videos this year because I switched to Matthews. Been a Hoyt guy my whole life. And I had to tinker and tinker and tinker because I was shooting just everything was different. And I switched rest and I switched arrows. Not like sponsorship switches. I don't, I'm not that guy. I'm just saying like I was tinkering trying to find the sweet spot. So I dropped so many videos and it took months. And I wasn't afraid to try anything to really get this bow and once I got it there I've totally backed off on shooting I was having guys come over every week and shoot and have a little friendly competition I've gotten texts three or four weeks in a row now I've been like nope I'm busy like tonight I said I'm recording a podcast can't do it I don't need to shoot that much right now I just need to shoot a little shoot really well and keep your confidence up and make sure everything's in tune when you're backpack hunting man it's tough to like let's say you're on a five seven day backpack trip even three you're not shooting your bow back at camp um, what do you do to make sure or what do you look for to inspect that your bow is still tuned when you're in the backcountry i have a couple marks on my bow just kind of quick references to make sure that everything's lined up there and i actually do carry a judo head in my quiver mm-hmm. so i'll be walking if i'm walking back to camp or something like that i'll just pick out a flower or whatever at you know 50 60 yards and take a shot here and there just seems to keep that muscle memory there while you're hunting. And also, you know, when you're hitting that at 50 yards while you're hunting, you're like, 
the confidence level is just tremendous. And I think that has a lot to do with being successful in bow hunting is just to have that confidence that, you know what, I can get in close. And even if I don't get close, you know, 50, 60 yards, I can make that shot. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So. Well, before we go, Kent, are you still actively writing or is that in the back burner? You know, I did a lot of writing when I was uh, working as a patrol officer. I just had a lot more free time. And now that I kind of do a lot of administrative stuff, but I do a lot of typing and writing every day. <laughs> I've kind of put it on it. kind of got old, kind of got burnt out on it. I'll do more writing, I think, once I transition out of this career yeah. and move forward. So, I, you know, I do have some articles that get published every year. I have one coming out here in Eastman's uh, bow hunting journal should be out any day now. Um, and it's my Nevada hunt from last year. So see, I told you guys, this is, this guy's an old G and I like getting guys as seasoned as you on here and kind of hearing how you think, but it seems like the devil's in the details, man, when it comes to consistent success and you have showcased that. Are you new to Instagram or newer? Yeah, very new. I'm not really a big social media guru. I did Facebook and I just got on there. To, uh, my family and stuff were on there. And then my girls are like, well, Facebook stinks. Instagram's way better. So I'm like, well, I'll check it out. So I got on there a few weeks ago, probably about a month ago now. So <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. That's where I knew I've known of you forever just because our circle is small. But when I saw you on IG, finally I was like, all right. Time to get them on here. You obliged, and I really appreciate your time. I know we're both in between hunts, and we we scheduled this way out in advance. So thanks, man. Good luck this year. And is there anywhere else guys can find you or follow you? Uh, no, I'm just on Instagram and Facebook, and, well, obviously on some forums too, but uh, like both site, Rock Slide. So, but, yeah, good luck to you this fall. Uh, I hope Wyoming goes well. Keep me posted. Oh, for sure, man. Well, Guys, thanks for tuning in. Good luck with the rest of your hunts. If you're still sticking it out in September, don't squander a second. Hunt hard, dark to dark. And if you guys are in October and still archery hunting, dude, and you're in Montana, I feel like that's some of the best time of the year to be in Montana. So good luck to you. And uh, Jason, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you doing what you do in law enforcement and a family man and putting them first. I look up to that. And uh, good luck in Wyoming yourself. Thanks, Dan. Hey elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com and if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. 
Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.